this week's episode of the All Things Bama podcast, Mason Caddy and Joey discuss Alabama's Iron Bowl victory, a major upset over North Carolina, and soccer's trip to the College Cup. It's the All Things Bama podcast, a part of the Bama Central Podcast Network. Welcome to the All Things Bama Podcast, a part of the Bama Central Podcast Network. I am your host, Mason Smith, alongside Joey Blackwell and Katie Windham. If you're joining us now, that means you probably finished watching the Alabama-UNC basketball game about five minutes ago. <laughs> because that game lasted until the early sunrise of this morning. But with a lot going on this week with Alabama's victory, the Iron Bowl, and with Alabama soccer making it to the College Cup, there's a lot to discuss. But... Joey, starting with you, we're going to begin this conversation with the Iron Bowl. Of course, Alabama was victorious against the Auburn Tigers. What were your early takeaways from Alabama's season and regular season finale against Auburn? Uh, two takeaways. Bryce Young is still a good quarterback, and uh, the running defense really needs a lot of work. <laughs> um, if I could summarize, you know, just two quick points there. Um, Bryce Young obviously had a solid day. He finished 20 for 30, had 343 um, passing yards, three touchdowns. He rushed for another 48 yards and a touchdown. So just overall, you know, it, it felt good in the, you know, the, the final regular season game to feel like we kind of had the old Bryce Young back for Alabama football. Um, uh, the rushing, the running back room, of course, combined with those, you know, rushing yards from Bryce at 173 yards. Uh, Young also, I think, I believe it was nine different receivers um, may had catches from him. So, you know, was able to distribute the ball very well. The rush defense, on the other hand, for Alabama was not good, and that's a lot in credit to the really strong performance by Auburn's running backs and their quarterback, Robbie Ashford. 318 rushing yards on the day for the Tigers. Ashford had, while he didn't perform in the air very well for um, the Tigers, only had 77 yards. He His boots were all over the place, 121 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns for him. Um, so just overall – um, the rush defense hasn't really been that that big of a problem for Alabama this year. They've struggled against dual threat quarterbacks um, and, and containing there. Um, but overall, against opposing running backs, they've actually done pretty well. So I don't think this is really a huge problem. And the good thing about this is I'm sure we'll talk about the play the potential for the playoff here in a second. But if they go to a bowl game, which is the more likely scenario, they're about to have over a month off <laughs> to, to kind of tweak things there and, and get things sorted there. So I don't think it's really going to be that big of an issue. But those are the two things that leap out at me, you know, just looking at the page right now. No, it's, that's, def- that's definitely the case. And one thing I noticed, we talked about the running game. Tank Bigsby, 15 carries, only 63 net yards. So the fact that he didn't have a big game is a good sign that Alabama's running defense wasn't, you know, all the way faltering. But again, Robbie Ashford and Jarquez Hunter just really were – the dominating force on the ground for, for Auburn. But, Katie, you know, it was, it was a lot to take away from both Alabama's defense and the offense. What did you see from Saturday? I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from the Iron Bowl, besides the things that Joey's already mentioned, are just this has been a pretty wacky uh, series over the last <laughs> couple of years. You know, I think the Egg Bowl takes the wackier title after the things we've seen the last couple of years. But we've seen some crazy things happen in the Iron Bowl, generally not in Tuscaloosa. Most of them have happened down um, in Auburn. It has been, you know, over a decade now since Auburn's won an Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa. Um, but it was not Alabama's best performance, you know, giving up 300 rushing yards for the first time since 2011. Um, I don't think anyone was really expecting that going into that game. I don't think anyone expected Auburn to have a lot of passing success, which they didn't. But I don't think people thought they would be able to run the ball as well as they did. Um, But I think, you know, for as crazy as this series has been, I think Alabama fans have to be happy that um, Alabama just handled business like they should have against a much weaker Auburn team. You know, there's a couple of times they kind of could have really put that game away um, when they're up 42 to 14 and, um, you know, also at the end, Bryce Young had the interception, and Saban mentioned that after the game. But it was still – you could kind of see that Auburn was overmatched the whole time. And I think another big thing was, you know, we've talked a lot this year about this team has struggled to force turnovers. And, um, you know, they didn't – they got two turnovers on Saturday that didn't necessarily force them because Auburn's first fumble was kind of a butt fumble where the Auburn guy just ran into one of his own teammates. And then um, the kind of questionable – call on the muffed punt but the important thing both times you know Alabama was there to recover it and so 
Um, you know, there's pro- likely only one game left this season, but that's also something they can you know build on is takeaways because they do make a huge difference in the game. You know, you need to stop when um, things aren't going well. Uh, to shift momentum, a lot of times it kind of can kind of be a multi-point swing because it's taking points away from the other team and giving the ball back to your offense. So, um, you know, I think that's something I saw. Um, I think it was also good for Alabama fans to see um, Jameer Gibbs back out there. And then, of course, I think, you know, we've really seen um, Jermaine Burton continue what kind of what he's done um, since that old Miss game. And, you know, he had the deep ball. And I think the first quarter of that Iron Bowl, which – you know, we've not seen a lot of those this year. I'm sure a lot of people are wishing they would have seen that type of production out of him earlier in the season. I mean, more of that deep ball threat. But also I think it was interesting, you know, what Saban talked about after the game about that Alabama did a lot of self-scouting before the Iron Bowl and kind of changed um, or looked at some of their tendencies and added in more, you know, play action and RPOs and things like that Um, that really did open the offense up a lot more Um, against an Auburn team that doesn't, you know, obviously overall they've struggled a lot this year, but they don't have an awful um, defense, have some really talented players, and it's a defense that Alabama struggled against last year. So I think, you know, we saw the offense open up in new ways, and in a way it kind of seems like it's – too little, too late, as um, we'll get to in a little bit. Alabama's playoff chances are not completely dead, but pretty slim. And it's kind of, you know, as we saw LSU go down to A&M this past weekend, um, it just kind of leaves a lot of questions of how did Alabama kind of let this season slip away to get to the point where they are, where they're having to hope for chaos at the end of the year rather than controlling their own destiny um, like they are most of the time. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, it's, we're going to get to that. But it's definitely a lot to take away from this game. The one thing that's kind of interesting to me, and then Joey may crack a smile at this, Brad Young finished the game with 48 rushing yards. That's not a lot by any stretch of the imagination. But the joke is that me and Joey have talked a couple times before outside of recording how Bryce Young could you could use his legs a little bit more, that he has a lot of time <laughs> in the pocket to where if the play isn't developing passing-wise, that he could probably use his legs more. He has shown his ability to do that. Other times he's kind of just – been really focused on extending the play with his arm, which is not a problem. Of course, that's something he's probably going to more likely do at the next level when he makes it to the NFL. But, Julie, I know me and you have talked about Bryce Young's running ability. And, like, he could stand to just, you know, scramble a little bit more, be more willing to pull it down and, you know, get a few extra yards on the ground. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of that was was hesitancy just after having his injury. You know, I, I think that was probably a key factor there. You know, going down in just the manner that he was hurt, obviously, you know, it was when he went out of when he was kind of tackled out of bounds, you know, his shoulder goes down, you know, that's obviously something that, you know, can come back and kind of cause a little bit of PTSD in a way and make it more difficult um, uh, uh, to run. You know, there is a hesitancy. So I wouldn't chalk it all up to, oh, Bryce is just scared to run. Um, I think he's also used, I think one thing that he's having to adjust to um, this year as well as comparing to last season was last year, he had a ton of playmakers at wide receiver, um, which is something that he hasn't really had to deal with um, this year. You know, we never really got to see Tyler Harrell, Jermaine Burton, while he has gotten good recently, didn't play out over the course of the season. Like most fans thought he would um, Jojo Earl hasn't really um, contributed that much to Corey Brooks has, has had, you know, bright spots, but he wasn't the heir apparent like a lot of people thought he was heading into this season. So um, I, I think that, you know, without those playmakers, it, it's made force Bryce to have to rely on himself and make more difficult passes, um, which a lot of times require a lot more time um, than. And so I, I think that it's like I said in the, in the very beginning, you know, it's, it's good to see, kind of like an old Bryce Young comeback. But like Katie said, it's it's pretty much a little bit, a little too little too late um, right about now. But it does create some optimism for the future. Bryce Young's obviously leaving. I, I, I think anybody would be foolish to believe that Bryce Young is not, you know, not leaving. Um, but it does show some optimism in that the pass production can be there with the wide receivers as long as they have a good quarterback Absolutely. And then one thing, one lesson I want to touch on in terms of a factor before I toss it to Katie, talk about the news on the Auburn side. One, one thing I really draw my, drew my attention that we've all talked about is the fans. Now we knew the fans were going to be, they were going to come out for the iron bowl. We knew that, but the fans really had an impact on the game, especially with Auburn. They, they caused Auburn to have five false starts 
during the game. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that Cadillac Williams talked about during his press conference, which we'll also touch on for very briefly in a second. But for Alabama to really have that fan support, it really showed how great Brian Denny Stadium could be for the team in terms of supporting them and getting them riled up. And I'll go on a limb and say they they could stand to do that for more games, not just the quote-unquote big games versus or the rivalry games that come to Tuscaloosa. You know, other games, and granted, you know, Utah State, um, ULM, and Austin P. we understand those games are not going to be treated like the Iron Bowl. I wouldn't expect that to be treated like the Iron Bowl. But there have been times where Alabama fans, I feel like I've just gotten used to winning. So I really do hope that this year, more than anything else, that Alabama, Alabama football fans don't take – winning in football as much for granted as it appears to have been the past few years or the past decade ever since Nick Saban has been here. That's the last thing I wanted to to mention in terms of Alabama. But I'm going to get off my soapbox because <laughs> that, that I, I didn't want to start. I didn't want to continue off that. Going to the Auburn side, um, I'm, it's, it's a lot to kind of discuss. Cadillac Williams, he delivered an emotional post-game press conference. He, he was very adamant about supporting his players. Um, and, of course, Robbie Ashford, again, Joey, like you mentioned in the opening, he had a fantastic game on the ground. Um, Katie, to start this one with you, what, what did you kind of see from the Auburn side, not even just in terms of their play, but potentially, if you know, from what you've heard about how Cadillac Williams has been, you know, revered with the Auburn program, how he's finished the year, and then we'll transition to the other news about their recent hire. Yeah, I mean, I – it was impressive to me, you know, like the, not to be cliche, but like the fight Auburn showed, I guess, um, for most of the game, especially I was not expecting that out of Robbie Ashford um, on the ground. He was pretty slippery, sl- slipping and sliding out of the Alabama defense. They were having trouble, you know, getting their arms around him. Um, it was rainy that day. Wrapping him up. Yeah, the second half, there was a little bit of rain to deal with, but it was really even more in the first half, you know, even his first touchdown of the game that – Allowed Auburn to hold a brief lead in the Iron Bowl at seven to nothing. Um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the players kind of rallied around Cadillac those last couple games. Obviously, um, there's a ton of tension down on the plains with Brian Harson and just everything that went down with that situation. And now, um, as of the recording of this podcast, about probably 30 minutes before we started recording was when um, Ross Dellinger from SI was. The first, if or one of the first, to uh, report that Hugh Freeze is going to be announced as Auburn's coach later today. So by the time this podcast comes out, I'll expect you know Auburn will have made some sort of official announcement. So despite blowback from fans um, all over um, social media the last couple of days, just because of all the you know allegations of misconduct that Hugh Freeze has had, not just with um, you know the cheating he had at Ole Miss when they paid the players, which you know now there's ways to do that with NIL. So it's not necessarily that because there's lots of coaches that have had issues with that, even though you know it did cause Ole Miss some issues. Um, but you know just also the sexual misconduct he's had, kind of at a bunch of his stops. That there's a lot of people that uh, Auburn people that did not want to hire him, um, and I think most people would agree that Lane Kevin was Auburn's number one choice. That was kind of the buzz name for a long time. We even talked to Zach Blackerby from Auburn Daily last week, and he said he would be shocked if that was, um, you know, not the next Auburn head coach at that point. And then, you know, we all saw the Twitter exchange the next couple of days between the <laughs> um, TV reporter and uh, Mississippi saying that Lane would step down after the Egg Bowl and, and be the, announced as the Auburn head coach on Friday. And obviously that didn't happen. So, you know, Auburn didn't get their top guy, um, and then it looked like Hugh Freeze was kind of the second option, and then um, there's a lot of blowback, but it looks like that's still who they're going with, which, you know, this is a – it's just an interesting situation. When we talk about the, you know, spunkiness of the Egg Bowl, which is kind of living on through this whole hire because it's former Mississippi State AD John Cohen, the new Auburn AD, hiring a former Ole Miss coach um, that, you know, has had a ton of success on the field. There's no doubt about that. Hugh Freeze, from a football standpoint, is not a bad hire at all. Um, he did out beat Alabama in back-to-back years in 14 and 15. Of course, that was with um, the players that he bought. But um, he, he does not have a coach. He's, <laughs> he's been successful at um, Liberty in his years there. So, you know, it, on, on the field, it's not a bad hire. Off the field, it's going to cause um, – already is causing a lot of drama. But we'll see kind of what the public stance is um, from Auburn once um, Cohen kind of makes the announcement official. 
I would also like to point out one obscure fact. Uh, Hugh Freeze also, and I could be wrong, but if I'm thinking off the top of my head correctly, he's the third head coach in a row at Auburn that was a former coach at Arkansas State, which is ridiculous to think about because you have his connection there. You also have um, Brian Harson had connections there, as did um, uh, Gus Malzahn as well. So, like, kind of, kind of funny, strange coincidence that all three of those coaches have ties with Arkansas State. Yeah, it is interesting. I think I've seen stuff on Twitter today. I think uh, Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn are pretty close. So, it is kind of an interesting little pipeline that's formed between um, Arkansas State and Auburn, and even you know Ole Miss and Auburn with. You know, Tommy Tuberville was the coach at Ole Miss before he became the coach at Auburn. And, um, you know, now he's a U.S. senator. So you never know where these things can go, guys. It's just the SEC is well, wild. You're Blake Anderson at Arkansas State right now. You know you have a job lined up in the next few years. So just uh, just keep grinding in Arkansas State, buddy. You got this. Isn't that the uh, – isn't he the Utah State coach now, but he used to be at Arkansas State? Oh, could be that. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, he did move to Utah State, didn't he? Well, he's still he's still eligible for the Auburn. Yeah, it's not it's not the direct. It's not always the direct Arkansas State to yeah, Auburn yeah, pipeline. Yeah. It's my bad. Yeah, so, so yeah, he he is in line for it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah he's still eligible. Just a, he's actually a couple of years ahead of the game. <laughs> I would have never guessed. Oh, you year. know who's at Arkansas State right now? Uh, it's Bush, Bush Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah. All right, and he's Former in the Tennessee pipeline. Coach. And Alabama <laughs> analyst. We need to look up. See, people, we have the Saban coaching tree. We need the Arkansas State coaching tree. We need to assemble that stat so we can track who's going to Auburn. Next. What kind of TV series storyline are we talking about right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is just, I can see this is during like season three, like with the, the people just coming back from Arkansas State to take on our, our Alabama. Oh my gosh. What <laughs> Go At least we can all breathe a sigh of relief that this Auburn coach uh, Auburn coaching search is over. I'm sure Auburn fans are are just as relieved as everybody else right now. Even if they aren't happy with Hugh Freeze, it's got to be nice to kind of have all that all that drama behind them at this point. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what story is created when Hugh Freeze needs to get fired. But that did not that is that is just the masses. Nevertheless, Alabama was victorious in the Iron Bowl. But that was not the only program that was victorious over the weekend. Alabama men's basketball with a quadruple overtime victory against North Carolina. And that, that, was, that, was, a power, that was a powerful win that um, Nate Oates and his squad was able to put together. Um, Brandon Miller did not have his best game. Noah Klein went, out, went down with an injury early. Uh, Joey, starting with you because you were the one that was able to really be on the pulse of that game. What, what did you see from Alabama that held to pull out the win? Well, before I point out the North Carolina game, I also want to talk about the Michigan State game. I mean, that game was arguably just as important, if not more important, because, you know, Michigan State is a really solid team, one of the hottest teams in college basketball heading in, jumping from unranked to 12th in the country. Um, that, that was not for no reason. Um, the Spartans are really, really good. Um, Alabama, of course, beat them 81 to 70, um, and Alabama really took it to them. Um, they had a really solid game. You know, Alabama shot 35% from three, 44% from the floor. Um, they did have 10 turnovers, um, but they um, they they didn't out-rebound the Spartans, but they were able to hang in there 42-40, um, which if anybody knows Tom Izzo, they know that he coaches really, really good rebounding teams. They're seemingly annually in the top five, top 10 in the country in rebounding. So if you can only finish two rebounds behind them, you're doing something right. So really like what I saw from them, but now I'm sorry, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, they did lose to UConn. Um, it was the kind of a typical loss for Alabama, you know, not really solid shooting from the floor. The um, 42% is okay. I guess they did actually had decent shooting, but their defense just wasn't there. There, there was effort. They fought very hard to the end, but um, to use a cliche, um, but just not there. But North Carolina, yeah, obviously big program win. North Carolina had already lost in this tournament, so they were already weren't going to be number one as we saw them just tank from number one to 18 today in the AP. Um, but really, you know, this is a game that just seemingly went on forever. And I think one of the things that really showed me uh, was that Alabama can, when we kind of saw this at Longwood, um, within the season opener, Alabama can win games even when their best shooters aren't having good games. Um, and I think that was 
a huge thing. You know, Noah Clowney, for example, um, he was out with an injury from early. He only played three minutes in the game. He was limited to just one point. He only took two shots. I'm sorry. He took uh yeah, he only took two shots on the game. Um, but in that time he was there, he already had three rebounds um in those three minutes. So just imagine how big of an impact he could have had. Brandon Miller obviously is the is the headline. Only 14 points, which a lot of people would be very happy for 14 points. But for Miller, though, that's most of the I don't think he had any points in the first half. Um, most of those came in the second half or in overtime. So um him having four fouls, Bediaco being limited with four fouls, Burnett having to be limited late with four fouls. This team was still able to get the job done. Quinterly stepping up off the bench. Um, I know there was a lot of frustrated fans with Quinterly this past weekend, and rightfully so. But still, he was able to score 21 points. And if he doesn't, if he gets two less of those points, it's three less of those points, you know, Bama doesn't win that game. So um, there's just a lot to be broken down in this game. Um, Alabama obviously is now up to 11 in the AP poll. Um, They still have a grueling non conference schedule. I know people had, you know, had this tournament circled as one of the high points of the non conference schedule, but it's still far from over. Houston's now. Number one, Bam, they'll probably still be number one when Bama has to play them in a couple of weeks. They still have to play Memphis and Gonzaga in Birmingham. Um, so there's still a long way to go in this non-conference schedule, but we've seen that this is a team that really can take down the Giants. Um, they're they're right up there with with the rest of them now. I'm hoping that Clown, you know, Bama fans will, will should be hopeful that Clowney's okay. I know it was, they said it was just a contusion, but the fact that he was out for the entire game is not a good sign. Um, so hopefully he'll he'll be back. They have a week to, you know, they have a week right now to rest him and then another week after South Dakota State before they have another game. So hopefully that'll be plenty of time to have him back. Katie, I want you to go first before I kind of share my spiel on JQ. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> I, I just talked I, him up. I just I talked have, him up. You can't I, talk it. You can't talk bad about him now. I, I just have, no, him up. I think JQ had a great. I really think he had a great game. I do think he. I think he played well, but I do have some. I do have some concerns, and honestly, those concerns I have are only temporary. Uh, there were there were some hero ball moments. I won't lie. Exactly. There were some there were some hero ball moments, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna skirt around that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I will say, you know, at the end of the day, he had six rebounds, twenty one points, eight assists. Like you know that. The, the numbers don't lie. He did contribute. Now, you know. Uh, <laughs> Alabama needed someone to be a hero last night, and no one else was stepping up. Now, in those heroic moments, did he have a hero moment? No. But was he a big part of Alabama's win? Yes. Oh, 100%. I'm not taking that away from, from JQ. And honestly, I want to make sure I emphasize this now. My comments about this are only temporary. Be- the reason I say temporary is because I think a lot of what like he went, he went eight or twenty six in the field. The biggest reason why I think he shot so poorly is because he's still kind of coming back from his injury. He played forty four minutes for a guy who came back from a torn ACL a lot earlier than any of us ever expected. I think mm-hmm. that that is a credit to him. I want to make sure I emphasize that now. Twenty one points, eight assists is a great game for Javon Quinlan, who wasn't supposed to even play this month in basketball, and he just played against the number one team in the country. With that said. Mm-hmm. I still just think that hero ball can be a, a huge detriment, especially at a time like that where it was, it was a lot of sloppy play. It was a lot of it was just a lot of chaos going on for both teams. And, you know, Brandon Miller not absolved either. Brandon Miller not shoot well. He shot 421 from the field. So those are two players that I don't expect to have games like this, you know, again or very rarely. But I do think that, yeah, he he was kind of pounding the air out the ball. And I, and I want to make sure I emphasize that still a great game. And I don't think it's going to happen often. But one of those times, the hero ball and the pounding the air out of it is just, it was just a lot going on yesterday. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, we've talked about how Miller did, you know, didn't have his best game. We talked about Javon Quinley did well. I, I really want, I think if there was a hero on this team, there were actually two of them. Um, I think there was Mark Sears and Charles Bediaco. I think that yes. goes without saying. Um, Sears just really stepped up for this team when they needed him to. He played um, 55 minutes. That's yeah, 55 insane. of 60 minutes, which is just, I mean, I would have passed out 10 minutes into a basketball game, not <laughs> not much less 55, but 24 points, you know, 7 of 11 from beyond the arc. You know, he five rebounds, five assists. He did turn the ball over five times. It's the same number as JQ, but with at point guard, you're kind of more likely to turn the basketball over. Um, he did have one steal. 
11 in the plus minus. Then Charles Bediaco, 18 in the plus minus, 14 points, three blocks, two steals, 16 rebounds. He had a double-double, two assists. And let's also not forget, he had four fouls. He was very limited in that overtime. So there's no telling what those numbers could have been had he not had those many fouls because he would have been playing a lot more um, probably aggressively in overtime had that not been the case. So just, you know, remarkable performance. He he got the hard hat for a reason, but um, just want to highlight the efforts of those two guys. Just outstanding. 44 minutes from Betty Yako, a guy that's, you know, still just a sophomore. He, his body isn't fully developed. Um, he is tall enough, but, you know, he's still filling out. And the fact that he could go 44 minutes is just, you know, just unreal. And I know North Carolina fans may be mad, but that block was clean. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, no, when, when that block play. happened, I was almost yelling at my television because <laughs> I caught from the moment that first shot happened, like before they even showed the replay, I was like, you know, throwing my hands up like what, 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 what was that? And then but, you know, at the end of the day, I get why the officials make that call. That was a very, very important basket at that time. And it's better to it's 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 better to make that call and overturn it than it is to, you know, you can't review it if there's no call exactly um in basketball. So, you know, it makes sense to call that and then overturn it. So I I completely understand the officiating um in that circumstance. But who boy did it have a lot of Alabama fans breathing shallowly for about five minutes while they took a look at that because that could have been a game. I think actually that made didn't that make the game 103 101 the other way? Isn't that what happened in that? I could be wrong there. I think, I think or maybe was, it was, I think it made it 102 101 in right, favor yes. of North Carolina. It, like a one point, it made a one point lead yeah. swing or a two point swing, I guess. But yeah, that was a huge play. Big time block. Man. At that point, I was just ready for the game to end. <laughs> I didn't care who won. I was just like, can we please, <laughs> can, we, can we get out of here? I got stuff I got to do. I got to go on a run. I got to feed my dog. There's so much stuff I have to do. Look, I was, oh, I was really worried that when we record this podcast, the game would still be going. <laughs> Joe would just be like <laughs> doing live updates. Hey, Katie was covering it too. I wasn't the only one covering it. Katie was right there with me having to, you know, get develop dark circles behind her eyes. Like What's me, up, just... my friends giving plants. Oh, yeah. man. How, how, man, Alabama basketball, do better. You're missing up Friendsgiving. <laughs> Just the life of a sports journalist, you know? Pretty much. Not yeah. having to work regular hours. You never know. When you, you think, just basically don't make plans. That's, I don't know yeah. how, I have, how I haven't learned that yeah. through all this, but um, no. I, I'll say from, from this weekend as a whole, I think, obviously, Alabama wanted to end that tournament with a win, but I think, you know, leaving two and one as compared to one and two is just huge for so many reasons. It certainly wouldn't have been, you know, a shameful loss to lose to North Carolina. It wouldn't hurt the resume at all. But yeah, I think just mindset wise, it's huge for this team that they can beat a team like North Carolina when you don't have Clowney, when your best player is not playing at his best. I think Brandon Miller finished four of 21 from the floor. Uh, yeah, that's that, correct. That's, 421, two of eight from the field. That's from pretty the dreadful. Um, yeah. you, you don't want to see that type of shooting on anyone, much less your star, you know. And, um, you know, you, like you say, you don't have Clowney, in, which, you know, he's probably your best rebounder, and you're going up against a huge physical team in North Carolina, and you don't have him. And then, you know, like you mentioned, we saw Charles Bediaco step up, especially in the overtime periods. And he's a guy that we've kind of seen in his young Alabama career kind of have his best games going against the best teams, against the best bigs. Last year, as a freshman, he handled his own against Drew Timmy in that game in um, Seattle. We'll get to play him again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so we'll see how round two goes. But um, And then really, like you mentioned, Mark Sears shooting is kind of what kept Alabama in the game, especially from beyond the arc. And overall, it was a good shooting Um performance for Alabama um you know if you take out especially if if you look alone it it was a good game for Noah Gurley as well you know he finished three or five from three um 13 points total and so there were a lot of guys that stepped up and I think there's a lot of positive things that Alabama can build upon in this tournament even I think you know losing to UConn obviously UConn's a really good team but I think kind of having that experience of getting punched in the mouth a little bit and then bouncing back is going to be good for them too that they kind of know now how to respond after a loss as well no no definitely i think alabama's in a great position going into their december slate which is a great transition to our next topic right now alabama is six and one on the season and they're getting ready to play their december schedule so just for the fans at home you know who don't have it immediately pulled up 
Their first game of December is against South Dakota State in Tuscaloosa. They'll go on the road to Houston, who is currently the number one team, and play and play Houston. December 13th, they'll be taking on Memphis, coached by Penny Hardaway. That's always a tough game. December 17th, they will play Gonzaga in Birmingham, which I think will always be a fantastic game. December 20th, they'll be playing Jackson State against former Crimson Tide point guard and All-SEC selection Mo Williams. And December 28th, after the, Chris, after the Christmas weekend, they will begin their SEC slate or their first SEC opponent will be Mississippi State. So, Katie, Joey, I'll, I'll let either one of you guys start. Simple question. Which game of this December portion of the schedule are you looking forward to the most? Oh, well, I mean, for me personally, it's I have a personal stake in Memphis <laughs> because last year uh, I had to drive that entire you know distance to Memphis only to watch Alabama get their tails kicked in all all up and down that blue court they have there. Um <laughs> So I have a personal stake in that game. Um, that'll be nice to only have to drive an hour from Birmingham to go watch that one. Um, but you know, I think it's really a, it's it's really tough for me to choose between that the Houston game and the Gonzaga game. Obviously, the Gonzaga game in Birmingham is going to be big. Um, Alabama historically does not play well in Birmingham, so I'm interested to see if they can overcome that hump. But that's gonna there's gonna be a lot in that game, a lot riding on it, just because you know last year Alabama was able to go all the way to Seattle and beat them. And Gonzaga has not forgotten about that. Um, they're definitely going to bring that energy. Drew Timmy is, you know, probably hasn't forgotten how effective Charles Bediaco was against him last year, like like Katie brought up. Um, there's just a lot of – there's going to be a lot of emotion in the game. And then there's also the Houston game. They could be number one. I think it would be huge for this Alabama program if they could go to Houston and win. I think that would be huge, um, beating two number one ranked opponents um, in three games. That being said, this Houston team looks incredible. They look like one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country right now. Um, so traveling to Houston and having Alabama win that, that's going to be a very, very tall task um, for them. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm going with Memphis. I'm going with my heart. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to to that one and hopefully, uh, you know, for Alabama fans, it'll be a better result than it was last year. Yeah, I think I, I think most reasonable people are not expecting Alabama to win that Houston game. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously they're capable, but it's going to be a big challenge. Um, I think the game I'm most looking forward to is Gonzaga in Birmingham. I think it's a great opportunity for Alabama, um, a team that they – match up well against I think it's you know a big stage is I think it's that game a CBS broadcast game it's going to be I believe it's a CBS Saturday game yeah yeah a national game big audience I mean you know last year that game is kind of overshadowed by the SEC championship which in football which um it happened after the football game was over so then it was a huge day for Alabama fans if you're if they're not, you know, football fan only because you got to experience the SEC championship win over Georgia and then the big basketball win. But this year it's kind of that standalone game a couple of Saturdays after, not that Alabama football is in the SEC championship anyway. But, um, you know, it, it's a huge chance for Alabama. I think the Crimson Tide needs to take care of those games at home against teams like starting with South Dakota State on Friday against Jackson State later in December, I think you can't – I think we've seen Alabama teams in the past slip up against those type of opponents or not come out motivated or ready. But I think Alabama has got to win those type games. It's obviously not, like, detrimental. Like, they're likely, unless they have some sort of epic collapse, going to make the NCAA tournament no matter what. But, um, you know, if you want to have good seeding, you, you need to win those games. And then I think that that Gonzaga game, with it being in Birmingham, and, you know, obviously going to be a huge Alabama crowd – is going to be something they um, really want to win and are capable of winning, and it's going to be a great win for that resume. So um, I'm looking forward to that rematch and just, um, you know, seeing how what kind of position that really puts Alabama in heading into um, SEC play. Anybody who knows me knows that I've been talking about that Jackson State game for a while. I'm looking forward to it being an HCU grad. I'm looking forward to Mo Williams coming back to his alma mater. You know, a lot of his players that he at his previous school, Alabama State, did transfer to Jackson, or at least some of them did, namely uh, the forward Trace Young, who was a transfer from Wisconsin, went to a JUCO, then went to ASU with Mo, Coach Mo Williams, and now is at Jackson State with Coach Mo. And I just think it's going to be a, a great game, both 
narrative wise and just competitive wise. I'm looking forward to that. But in addition to that game, I'm honestly looking forward to Mississippi State. Oh, and the only reason I'm really looking forward to Mississippi State is that it starts the ACC slate, you know, to you know to get into the spring, not spring, but <laughs> into 2023, and then of course leading up into March Madness. So I think having a having op- having SEC play open with a win. Opening SEC play with a victory against a team that you're likely supposed to, you're going to be favored to uh, defeat. I think it's going to be important for the psyche to really start on the, to start on the right path. And if you don't win against Mississippi State, Ole Miss, you know, is not a, a basketball powerhouse. But after that, you got Kentucky on January seventh. Then you have Arkansas on the eleventh. Those are back to back teams that mm-hmm. are honestly ranked b- above you in you know, SEC preseason rankings and, and things of like that nature. So I think Mississippi State is going to be an important game for them just to at least get on the right foot when it comes to the SEC play. Yeah, and it's sad that none of the beat writers will be there because it's on December 28th. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, all be, we'll all be where uh, wherever the football game is. Although I guess, Mason, you'll be in town for that one. So I guess you'll be covering that Mississippi State game. Me and Katie will be wherever, wherever. Okay. Well, he can drive the hour and a half to Starkville. <laughs> the rest of us will be wherever Alabama football is. But uh, that's the way That's the way the life of a beat writer works. We don't really get to decide where we go. We just go where we're pointed. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're honestly right about that now that I think about it. But you know, at the end of the day, Mississippi State on December 20th, that would really suck, honestly. Imagine going into the new year with a loss like that. That that's a really bad New Year's resolution. <laughs> My New Year's resolution <laughs> is to win. <laughs> that's what I want to do. But no, Mississippi State, Jackson State, those are the two games I'm looking forward to the most in the month of December, which is the next time Alabama will take the court. But all that starts with South Dakota State, December third, seven thirty p.m. Central Time in Tuscaloosa. Now, before we transition to the last point, which is Alabama soccer in the College Cup, I made a mistake. I want to apologize to Joey and Katie. One thing we did not talk about with Alabama football is their AP poll ranking. We're going to just go back just go back just a little bit to discuss that. Of course, with the latest ranking, the Crimson Tide is ranked sixth in the AP poll. Georgia, of course, number one. Michigan, two. TCU is three moving up. And then USC is moving up to four with Ohio State dropping three spots to five. Katie, are you saying there is a chance that the Alabama Crimson Tide can make the college football playoff. There is a chance. I mean, it has nothing to do with the AP ranking, but um, there's a chance. I don't. I don't think even if USC and TCU lose, I just think that this upcoming weekend and championship weekend, if TCU loses in the Big Twelve championship and USC loses in the Pac twelve championship, I still think it's going to be hard for Alabama to get in. But, okay, if both lose, their odds increase significantly. <laughs> I just think the committee, though, I don't know. It's just all to, Tuesday nights is what's <laughs> going to tell us a lot. Okay, if the committee yeah. has Alabama ahead of Ohio State or not, then that will let us know if there really is a chance. Because if they have Alabama ahead of Ohio State, then, yes, there is a chance. If they don't, then there's not really a chance because neither team is going to play this weekend. So neither team has a chance to – improve their standing against each other head-to-head with either a win or a loss. By head-to-head, I don't mean obviously playing each other. I mean just like within the rankings. So, it, it all because obviously Ohio State has one less loss than Alabama does. That loss is a lot worse. Mm-hmm. But all of this could be irrelevant too if TCU and USC just handle business this weekend, which is, you know, highly likely. So, um, you know, I think Georgia and Michigan are in no matter what, basically, even if they somehow lose in the conference championship games, unless they get blasted, um, which, you know, so that takes up um, two of the spots already. And then I, I, I don't know, I guess maybe I, I think even if TC loses and they just have one loss, unless they get absolutely blasted, I think they'll get in ahead of Alabama. And then I think if USC loses, I think it would be Ohio State ahead of Alabama. Obviously, Clemson losing this past weekend helped um, the Crimson Tide. But I just I, I think because of how much vitriol there is towards Alabama in general, that if the committee puts them in again and they become the first ever two-loss team, that people are just going to lose their minds. Which, you know, That's what it is to me that's really going to hold them back is that second loss, not the fact that they're not the conference champions because we've seen that happen before. You know, in 2017, they didn't play in the SEC championship game and they made the playoff, obviously ended up winning the national championship. 
it's not that. It's the second loss to me that I think it's just going to be hard for them to overcome, even though obviously both losses were close. And that's the card that Alabama is going to play from their perspective, you know, saying they lost twice on the road, you know, last play both times, four points total. So I, I don't know. We'll see. The key, I think we will know a lot more on Tuesday night about how realistic Alabama's chances are, but it all comes down to what TCU and USC do on Saturday. No, and Katie nailed what I what I've been saying these past couple of days about we it really all depends on what happens on Tuesday night. Um if Bama's ranked five and the committee's more impressed by their win over Auburn, um then you, you know, I I, I really I really think they have a legitimate shot if one of the top four teams loses. Uh, well, well, at least at least TC or USC. Yeah. I do agree also with Katie that I think Georgia and Michigan are pretty much locked. Um, I don't think they can fall. Um, I mean, Georgia, Alabama just absolutely decimated Georgia last year in the SEC championship game, and Georgia didn't fall the top four. And this year's LSU team is not nearly as good as the Alabama team was last year. Um. So, yeah, I, I think we kind of have to wait until Tuesday night to see if Bama's five. They have a shot. If they don't, that like Katie said, you know, they're both basically on by. Neither of them have the opportunity to, you know, create an edge over the other. Um, if Bama was 11 and one, I think that'd be a different story. Um, but at 10 and two, regardless of the manner of those losses, it's really hard to put them in. Another big topic right now also has been should Tennessee be ranked ahead of Alabama? Um, I don't think they should be. And even though they have the same record, I get that Tennessee wins that tiebreaker, um, in the head to head, but we also have to compare the losses and Alabama's two losses were by far not nearly as, you know, lopsided as Tennessee's. I mean, Tennessee's loss looks a little bit better with South Carolina not beating Clemson this past weekend, but even if that does look better, you know, there's no excuse for getting beaten that bad. So well, I also think it, it, I think Tennessee would have a little bit of a stronger argument if Hendon Hooker wasn't out for the season, but with, yeah, with the same record as Alabama and no quarterback starting your, I mean, obviously they still have a quarterback, but not your starter, <laughs> a and, quarterback, somebody yeah. who will throw the ball. <laughs> I, I don't think, I think Tennessee has 0% chance um, of the teams that still have a chance. I, yeah. I just, and they're in the same they're in the same boat as Alabama too. Like honestly, like it, it'll depend on tomorrow's rankings. But if they're below Alabama, they're not going to leapfrog Alabama. Like the, there's there's no way. Um, but sorry, I, I interrupted you, Mason. What were you saying? No, I got for for one. Let me let me say I do agree. I don't think Tennessee really has a chance. And honestly, without Hendon Hooker, it would almost kind of be unfair to kind of put him in the that give him a chance to play up without their you know arguably their best player. You know, Jalen Howard's been great for them, too. But beside that point, the thing that's been making me scratch my head when it comes to these rankings and if this team loses, if that team loses, is just a matter of who they're playing. Of course, Georgia, Georgia, TCU, and USC are playing ranked opponents, which are LSU, Utah, and Kansas State. I think three, I think for Georgia, I think for Georgia, they're playing a pro opponent that everybody thinks they're just going to, you know, demolish. Everybody thinks that LSU is just in no match for Georgia. If they lose, that that's a pretty significant loss to a three loss LSU for to a three loss LSU team that you know just got smashed last weekend. You have Kansas State, you have Kansas State playing TCU. You know, I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for TCU to fall. They feel like TCU is just bound to stumble at some point, which which is kind of a which is maybe a fair argument. But again, that maybe we should give more credit to TCU and then Michigan. If Michigan loses, they will they will lose to a Purdue team that is unranked. And it's just. Honestly, not not a strong not a strong loss. But it would any... still be their only loss. I I, yes. I don't know. Even unless Georgia beats loses to LSU by thirty, I think there's no way they don't get in. Oh, I don't like even I agree. And I don't think that Georgia losing to LSU is gonna knock them out of the playoff. But that is one thing that just kind of, you know, makes me in, it scratches my head. It tickles my fancy just a little bit to kind of see how the caliber of losses it would be if those teams were to lose. That's that's what's kind of interesting to me when it comes to that. Another thing I want to uh, mention before I throw it back to you, Katie, and then we'll transition to soccer to wrap this up. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC are all playing an extra game that Alabama will not have to. And I feel like that it to me. I wonder how much weight goes into having an extra game where where that could be an extra loss that Alabama doesn't have to worry about. So that that is one thing that always kind of just scratched my head with that. But I'm kind of curious to see what you. 
think after I've laid all that out. What about it's it's like <laughs> I it, tuned out about five minutes ago. <laughs> like I think we saw in 2017 with Alabama, like having a quote unquote buy that week by not having to play in the conference championship obviously helped the Crimson Tide that year. It helps you in the sense that you don't, you know, you miss out on a different on the opportunity to lose again. Um, but it hurts you in the sense that you don't get the chance to add another good win to your resume. And I think that's another thing that hurts Alabama this year is that they don't like their best wins are over three, eight and four teams. And as we say, Ole Miss and um, Texas. So, you know, I, I don't think the committee factors that in a ton, um, especially just with the way that like college football has broken down this year with the way the playoff race kind of looks right now. Um, but you know, that, the the two most inter- the two most important days for Alabama Tuesday night to see where the committee has them above or behind Ohio State and then Saturday what happens with TCU and USC. Fair enough. We will, we will have to just wait for Tuesday, and of course when that when that ranking comes out we will be all over here at Bama Central. Now to wrap up this podcast, which has been a lengthy one to say the least, we are going to talk about the College Cup. Katie, as we know, Alabama will take on UCLA in one semifinal and the second semifinal between Florida State and North Carolina. Of course, Katie, you attended some games as a fan. You got a chance to kind of see this team, you know, ascend to the top. Just like, what are your what are your brief takeaways? And of course, you have any questions for me because I've been on the beat, you know, far away. Yeah, I mean, I think the game. What day was that? Friday against um, Duke. You know, they go up two to nothing and. What did our boss Chris Walsh call it? Like, um, oh, not a, a ball. Yeah, a route. He said the route is on. Then we look up five minutes later, and Alabama and Duke are tied at two two. So the game goes to overtime. You know, Raina Reyes has the clutch goal in overtime to send Alabama to the College Cup, and um, you know, just kind of what we've talked about all year um, with you know, just it's impressive what this team is able to do and. Um, they they were so far in the postseason in the NCAA tournament. They were they've been able to back up what they did in the regular season. It wasn't a fluke, um, which you know we didn't think it was a fluke going ten and zero in SEC play. But um, they've been able to you know make it to the Final Four for the first time in program history, the College Cup, and um, beat you know a good Duke team and a good Duke program to do that, and really kind of dominated that game, even though it ended up tied two two. But um, held the ball for most of that game, kind of maintained possession. So. Um, you know, it's a it's a huge step for this program. It's a huge step for any program, any athletic program to make the final four in their sport. And so, um, Mason, I believe you you had the chance to talk to West Hart on Monday, correct? Yes. Just kind of what 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 what's his message, what's his mindset early in the week as the team prepares for their first ever college cup? You know, he obviously has some experience doing it as a as a coach before at Florida State as an assistant, but um this is a new step for a lot of these girls. Um, honestly, Katie, you tried to maintain the same message he said during Monday's Monday's NCAA media availability, where all the College Cup coaches were present. They he just mainly said they're trying to treat it like just another game. Like that's been the mentality he's been trying to maintain for his team throughout the year. That regardless of the opponent, that they going with the same mentality. They still press. They still hunt. They still execute exactly what their game plans are, and it's still in the shows. Because regardless of whether it was Jackson State in the opening round, whether it was Portland in the second, UC Irvine, or Duke, like they, they've maintained, you know, that that aggression. They've maintained that mentality that's kind of identified Bama soccer for what it's been this year. Now, one thing that was really impressive to me in their last victory against Duke, Coach Hart tried to say it as nicely as he, as he could, but they just looked better than them. Like the team that they were scouting and watching film on leading up to that game was not the same team that they ended up playing. And that probably is due to the fact that they came out there pressing. They did a high press. Duke likes to play through their uh, defensive backs and then go go forward and do a build-up style of soccer. They did not allow that to happen. Riley Parker and Cat Rogers, they were continually pressing their backs and maintaining pressure on the Duke defense. And then when Gianna Paul came in, who I, which I kind of highlighted in the piece that came out earlier on Monday, is the she just provides another dynamic with her speed and her athleticism, her acceleration. She's just another... She's just the X factor on that team. She's already good. We know what she can do, but there's even another level I feel like she can reach. 
because she kind of talked about how it gets in her head. It got in her head when she kind of messed up that, I won't say messed up, that's, that's not the right word, but she didn't capitalize on that goal scoring opportunity early in the game against Duke. She really wanted that goal. And she mentioned how that was kind of in her head. But mm-hmm. when she got the, when she finally got that goal against Duke in the second half, that was just an exhilarating feeling. I think for her, it kind of just provided that, okay, the, the glass ceiling, the glass ceiling is broken. I, you know, I stopped it because before, before she scored against Duke, she only had one goal in her last eight games. And as a forward, she, she affects the game in so many ways outside of scoring. But of course, when you, when you're a forward and you're attacking so many times, you're getting all these shots, you want to score. And now the fact that she got a chance to score, I feel like she's going with a new level of confidence that is great for Alabama, but dangerous for the rest of, for the rest of her opponents. For okay. sure. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of – that was a really long spill. But I do think they're going to look good. And one one last little tidbit that I found out today, too, Wes Hart, who is the coach of Alabama, he actually has a lot of ties to the different coaches throughout the College Cup. Um, Brian Penske, who now coaches at Florida State, was the soccer coach at Tennessee that Hart got to know very well because Penske was at Tennessee for 10 years. Hart, of course, is in his eighth season in Alabama. And the coach for UCLA, I'm not going to – I don't want to butcher her name, but she – she knew Wes Hart back from the playing days in the club soccer. And she had a player named Jordan DiBiase that was coached by Hart, but ended up playing for, playing for her when she was at Stanford. So now it's a lot of like intertwined personal relationships that are going in for Wes Hart. So I think it's going to be a pretty, it's going to be a pretty cool narrative to kind of see how this team performs both in on the field and how they kind of interact off the field. But that, with that said, and with that being. We got to make sure everybody knows on the All Things Man podcast, Mason will be, up and carry covering the games. Famous Central is, you know, has you covered this year with Alabama soccer, this historic season. We can't let up now. So Mason will be there providing coverage soon at the end of this week. Um hopefully the opportunity to see Alabama win a national championship. It it will be my first natty I've ever covered. How about that for my first year on for Alabama Central being first time on a full time beat. Well, of course, that in football, but I'm I'm looking I'm so excited to go to carry. This is going to be fun. Um, I'm expecting a lot of great soccer to be played from all the teams that are participating. But hopefully Alabama can bring home its first national title in program history. But with that being said and with that being done, that concludes this episode. Very lengthy, very detailed, thorough episode of the All Things Bama podcast. Joey is combing through his hair <laughs> to kind of keep keep his sanity going. But Work whether it's soccer coverage, football coverage, basketball coverage, Bama Central has you covered with Joey Blackwell, Katie Wyndham, I am Mason Smith. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>